It's time to dive into the latest news and updates from the Vegas Golden Knights. This is Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. And here we go, nighttime at noon, here with you. Brian McCormick is here. You are there. Mike McKenna's to my left. Dakota Miller is spinning the ones and twos. And George Lopez is on the other side of the glass, making us sound pretty. And the VGK. Talk, Brian. And the VGK. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> so people can't see this. Obviously, this is radio. I go to talk. I'm Mike McKenna. And I put uh, I have my microphone up by my head, and it's not by my mouth. So nobody just heard anything that I just said. I, I'm, I'm sure you did that during a game once this year, too, I I've think. I've never <laughs> done that before, actually. <laughs> what I was going to say is the VGK, presumably, is in the air. In but, the uh, air and heading back uh, for game five. And uh, what a fun series this has been, Mike. And, of course, the VGK got uh, business taken care of yesterday. And I, I suppose more than anything else we can talk about for game four, the demonstration of depth and that the VGK have it. Uh, we'll talk about Nick Waugh. We'll talk a lot about Robin Leonard. We'll talk about where this series is headed. Uh, hear from Pete DeBoer and from Robin Leonard as well. And, uh, of course, take our, our spin around uh, the rest of the Stanley Cup playoff picture, the series between the Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning on a very busy nighttime at noon. Uh, Mike, just right off the top and just, just the broadest of questions, game four was probably the game where Montreal looked best and it's a game where the VGK find a way to draw the series even. That's a game where I didn't think the VGK were going to have much of a chance, and then they pull it out at the very end because they look so out of sync. They look sluggish. They didn't get their legs underneath them for the better part of a period and a half. Four shots on goal in the first period. They weren't generating anything. Zone time. Penalties. They couldn't get anything going, it yeah. felt like. The only reason the team was in the game was because of big number 90, the Panda, in yeah. the net, which we will get to as well. But then the second period, and for whatever reason, the Golden Knights, they seemed to love that long change. Mm -hmm. They were a little better. Okay, It wasn't great, but it was more of an even game from there. And then lo and behold, they managed to pull it off. A couple of good breaks. They realized Carey Price is a human being. He's not <laughs> an android from the planet Melmac. This is a guy who can allow goals. Braden McNabb. Yeah. Another defenseman. And it's a 2-2 series coming back to the Fortress now, and it's a three-game set. And Braden McNabb's goal comes off of great awareness down low from William Carlson. But, you know, I think that's what demonstrates what, what teams win in the playoffs. And, of course, we've got four teams at this point in the postseason, so the Golden Knights are not the only one. But part of it is we talk about what the defense has brought and the scoring depth, but it's also just a matter of chipping away. And Braden McNabb scores that goal. It's because Braden McNabb is in the right place, but it is, it, again, it's volume towards the net. And that one finds just a small crevice in Carey Price. But it was just a uh, – yesterday it was a, a war of attrition where the Vegas Golden Knights were able to, to stay at it long enough. They could have used a lot more pucks towards the net. Yes. No question. <laughs> Uh, and they're missing the net. They're missing the net this series more than they did against Minnesota or Colorado. That percentage is way up. Now, is that a shot-blocking thing, so, or is that something that they have more control over? No, it's not a shot-blocking thing. This is directly just shots on shots that miss the net in relations so, to attempts. Let me rephrase it. So, Does Montreal do a good enough job of shot-blocking that they're they're shooting to miss blocks is, is, I guess, more my question. I think it's the boogeyman effect of the yeah. guy that's in net that wears 31 for Montreal. I think that's you're trying to find a way on a goalie to be perfect at yeah. times. But regardless of that... You know, you you find ways, and you stay in games, and you hang around long enough, and when you get good goaltending like the Golden Knights did yesterday, you have a chance when it's a one-goal game. And, and it kind of flipped the script on game three, where the Golden Knights were so strong, they played solid, an unfortunate goal in the last minute, mm -hmm. and then they just 
weren't able to put it together. You get to overtime and their heads are spinning and it's in the back of the net before they know. And this was one of those kind of redemption stories, right? <laughs> Where, okay, we probably deserved that last one. Maybe game four, the VGK didn't deserve, I'm giving the air quotes here, <laughs> to win. But it doesn't matter what you deserve. It matters what the score is at the end. Yeah. Score's two to one VGK. They won the game. They pulled it off. And, and I tell you what, in OT, they looked like they came alive. Again, it wasn't very long into yeah. it. But they had shots on goal. They got zone pressure. They got D running around on the Canadians. Canadians are only playing for like four defensemen, basically. Mm -hmm. And they had them tired, strung them out. Game's over. And it was one of the first times they were actually able to funnel the puck to the front and, and win a, a, a battle inside the hash marks. I think I, one of the one of the analytics sites that, that charts such things, mm -hmm. that was the, the first grade A chance that, that Vegas had during the game was the overtime goal by Nick Waugh, who is also in this series proving himself to be very effective around the net when he wins those battles. I haven't seen analytics look more in favor of a team in a very long time. Mm. Okay, so according to Natural, Natural Statric, which is one of, one of the reference points we use for for the analytics, for yeah. the underlying things. And I think is the one that I, that I saw for yeah. that note. The high danger chances against for each team. Vegas allowed 18 to Montreal's two. <laughs> uh, and I believe both of those high danger chances were Nick Wah shots at the end. Yeah. The, so, the rebound and the goal, right? <laughs> right. Now, and, and we could explain the metric for what causes it to be a high danger chance, but the bottom line is that they didn't get inside. And for in game four, they really didn't test Carey Price like they needed to. They missed the net on chances. Uh, even in game, you know, game two that they lost at home, Price was really good. Mm -hmm. They forced him to be good. Um, and, and you know, sometimes you squeak one out, but I f the Golden Knights just—you look at it afterwards and how they all said, "Hey, we came together, we got what we needed, and now it is home ice. It's a best of three series, but we have home ice from here on out. Got to give you a big boost coming back." And to your point again, last night maybe if you were a fill out the uh, the charts of is this one that the VGK deserved to win that that's a, a weird uh, metric to use mm -hmm. but maybe you say no but, but I, I find it challenging to find any team that's won a cup in the last uh, well ever that didn't get a few wins that they didn't deserve that's kind of the point of what the playoffs are it's a long grind you have to find ways on some nights and that's why it's a team sport yeah. right and that's where your your goaltender factors in goalies can steal games it happens mm -hmm. in playoffs it happens in the regular season you get a goalie that steals four or five in playoffs you're probably going to win that cup, right? <laughs> well, Golden Knights have had two goalies now that have stolen games. That's good. <laughs> and 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 we'll we'll turn our uh, conversation to that then. And by the way, those who want to take part in the conversation with us, hashtag nighttime at noon on Twitter. Send your questions. Dakota Miller is yeah. manning mission control. Hit us up. He'll pass his uh, questions along to us. So uh, please join in that way. Uh, after the game yesterday, Pete DeBoer spoke about uh, Ro uh, Robin Lair's performance and also the decision to start him which throughout the day was certainly a conversation topic turned out to be the right move and here's what Pete DeBoer had to say on it well he was excellent I, I knew he'd be good um, you know there was a lot of things went into it uh, we just played I think tonight was our 17th game in 33 34 nights you know, we wouldn't be here without Flower and, and how he's played for us um, but it's a lot of hockey and uh, two emotional series uh, that were that were both really hard fought. Um, you know, when you look at the, the numbers in the league, I think he's, he's tied with Vasilevsky for, for most starts in the playoffs so far, and he's 10 years older than Vasilevsky. Um, so, you know, for me, knowing Lenny, knowing, knowing how hard he's worked, knowing the goalie he is, 
um, you know, the gamble to play him, uh, having not played a lot uh, lately, was, you know, no bigger than than the gamble of of playing a fatigued, in my mind, goalie, uh, you know, with no no rest really on the horizon. Brian, I think the big thing for this to me is it's just gutsy. Mm-hmm. If you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you've got to be willing to make tough decisions as a head coach. And the easy thing to do would be to just ride Marc-Andre Fleury as long as you can. And he said later on that it had nothing to do with the giveaway goal against, which I believe wholeheartedly. As do I. Because you've, the reasons that he all listed are justifiable. But the, again, the easy thing to do is to just ride your horse. But the unique aspect of this team is they got two Mustangs in the shed. Mm-hmm. We're not talking car. We're, you know, we're talking <laughs> not like 68 Mustangs with big blocks, but we're talking about – More of a Camaro guy myself. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Firebird. That, that's, a, that's a Trans Am. You took the governor off. She's just not street legal no more. Um, <laughs> you guys can't tell I've got a bit of a racing background. I enjoy dabbling in that. You know, we got into turn three, got a little looser, had track bar adjustment, came out. Next thing you know, turn four, boy, we was tight. And then we got better as we came up. But I'm getting way off track here. Yeah, I'm, the one, I'm, I'm the one listening to you. Of course you had to shut her down. What choice did you have? Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's flip that back. So anyway, two very good goaltenders on the Golden Knights that they trust. Two goalies that have performed. Mm-hmm. And the gamble is that Robin Leonard's only started two games in the last month or so. Yeah. Um, and the game against Colorado, I mean, you could have played Pat Roy in 93 on that team, and he probably still would have allowed five or six, right? Game yeah. one against Colorado. It was not, was not on Robin Leonard whatsoever. No. Not, not, not his best day, but that was not no. uh, that was not a situation where he was set up to be successful in game one. But I'll tell you what, Robin Leonard had a little bit of inspiration last night, and he, uh, he said afterwards that, you know, all those people out there <laughs> – Twitter trolls and the bots and the people diddling their thumbs on their phones. He wasn't tuning them out, was he? No. <laughs> and I want to point this out that so often the rhetoric around hockey and sports or ignore social media, it'll affect you. And and like, Don't look at headlines. Man, yeah. if you can't handle that, how are you supposed to handle the pressure of a game? Yeah. Okay, now everybody's different. Some can, some can't, some are different. But Robin Leonard uses it as fuel for motivation. And this is a guy who's been out there with the team every day. He's been an incredible locker room guy. He's He's been doing the wave during the games at home, <laughs> throwing hats on the ice for hat tricks, and the support that he's given to Marc-Andre Fleury and the teammate he's been in the locker room pays off yeah. because they want to play for him. They want to win for him. Um, and, and that's what we might as well go to right now. Audio cut four. Robin Leonard's uh, talking yesterday about his role within the team and how that helped set him up for yesterday's game. Oh, it's been great. Uh we we're on a Stanley Cup journey with a great team, great organization, great guys. Uh, it doesn't matter for me, truly in my heart. I don't I don't care. I'm on the bench or in the net. I'll do the best I can for the team. And um, that's what people don't understand. You know, it's a it's a team game. Um, this whole thing, uh, it's just uh, everything's all blown out of proportion with the whole thing here. You know, it's. Uh, I don't. I don't care. I couldn't care less. Uh, Flower been absolutely out, outstanding. It's the reason why we're here uh, with a lot of the other guys. And you know, we, when you get a chance to come in and help, it's great. And uh, you just uh, do what you can for the team, whatever position you're in. Uh, and that's uh, that's what it's about. And that's what I hope uh, the whole city 
we'll just bind and do, you know, just it's all for the team. Now, Mike, that then that was Robin Leonard. That that outlook certainly is going to serve him well. It serves the team well that everyone has that that comfort level. There is no uh, tension. But on top of that, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I think that the fact he had as busy a first period as he did, when he also had that combination of calmness but also wanting to prove some people wrong that he was reading throughout the day. The fact that he was so busy in the first 10 minutes of the first period and responded to it so well, I can't imagine that didn't do anything but help him. Yeah, well, I, my favorite part of Robin Leonard is looking at his eyes when he's getting ready before a game. And you could see the fire. I mean, he has the most intense look you'll ever see. And you could tell that he was just ready and excited. And there's no fear. It's, it's just living in the moment. He was excellent in the first 10 minutes. That com- yeah. You know, the, the combination save he made, um, I can't remember which where it went. I believe it was Corey Perry to stall, mm-hmm. moving right to left, extending a leg, tr- just dropped barely early, but he's able to get over, and then he has to battle and get his glove to the goal line and make a secondary save, a breakaway save later on on Cole Caulfield that he had great prior knowledge from the pre-scout. That's probably the game right there. And those two saves... You take that down to the micro level, keeping yeah. the game where it needs to be. Only thing that got past him was a breakaway from Paul Byron. I could tell you that guy terrorized me when I played <laughs> against him. We had one year in Portland, Maine, when we were in the minors. I was in, I was playing for the Lowell Devils, and he was on the Portland Pirates in the American League when he was young. And they had Nathan Gerby, Paul Byron, and Tyler Ennis all on the same team. And it was the only season in my career that my my shootout percentage was below 50 like it was terrible they're all fast they're all five seven and they all have good hands yeah and they're all left-handed <laughs> and they just roasted me and byron's slippery but man leonard was on it and i i liked in the first period how he let the game come to him when he needed to but there were moments where he could take some ice and be a little bit more aggressive with his angles when he knew the shot was coming from certain places that he did mm-hmm. it didn't look like he was being bashful in the net he didn't look like he was being tentative he looked like he was controlling the game. And he looked, you know, from his comments that we just heard, there's two sides of that coin. There's the one good teammate, mm-hmm. no drama, and that's important. Yeah. But then you also have the, what he's basically saying is, I know what my role is. And that meant that when called upon for game four, his role was to come out and shut things down. That's what they needed from him, and that's exactly what he did. It was a guy who came out and did his job. And that was exactly what the VGK needed. And, and just to, to bounce back, we're going to let this segment run a, a hair long because I want to get this in. Mm-hmm. You mentioned for Pete DeBoer to make that call, it's gutsy. I, I think sometimes we think of good coaching and good management as you never come across a problem or a controversy or a tough decision. That's not Good management isn't avoiding tough decisions. It's knowing they're eventually going to come and pulling the trigger on the right call when that time does come. I think back to Ryan Wallace late in the season. Because with the way this playoff has gone, I think we also forget Marc-Andre Fleury's been so good. Robin Leonard also had a very, very good season while battling injuries. and Especially the second half. Yeah. When he came back from the concussion, lights out. There was a legitimate conversation a few weeks before. At the end, I think everyone knew it was probably going to be Marc-Andre Fleury's net. But, you know, which do you go with or do you do you try to use both? There was a conversation that, that fans had. And, you know, I think, I think depth can be a coach's cliché. Just like players in an interview will say, get pucks in deep and stick to our systems. Coaches will talk all about the depth they have. But not every coach has the gumption to use it. Especially goalie depth. Depth is something that we like to talk about hypothetically. But not tangibly. Because as soon as you actually utilize it for purposes you feel are necessary, people ask questions. Why are you dipping into that? Well, do you believe that we have it or not? 
And I think Pete DeBoer last night with that decision, he proved I actually do believe I have a full roster. And I believe everyone on this roster can do the job. That wasn't a, we got to get Marc-Andre Fleury out of the net. No, that was, it's time to get Robin Leonard in. And Robin Leonard proved him right. Well, and it could have blown up in his face. Yeah. Pete DeBoer, right. I mean, like, if it goes out and it doesn't go well, you look bad. But you have to have the conviction in your personnel and your players to trust them to come out and perform. Yes. And it's not just Pete DeBoer, it's the whole staff, but it's also the work that goalie coach Mike Rosati has done with Robin Leonard, making sure he's ready, getting him to the place in his game that he's comfortable to go in and do the job that he did. You know, th- there's such a symbiotic relationship between goalie coaches and their goaltenders. Mm-hmm. And the work that Mike Rosati's done this year with Marc-Andre Fleury, little adaptment to his game, little adjustments, to, to work to get Robin Leonard back from his injury and at a high level, it goes unheralded. Yeah. And he's part of that decision, I'm sure. But you look at that depth, and the goalie depth just is never utilized by teams. It hasn't been previously, but we are starting to see this start to come. Mm-hmm. It usually just used to be, okay, you're going to play this guy, and if he loses, maybe you go to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, Brian, I have no idea who starts tomorrow night. <laughs> I don't. I can't even make a prediction. Does Robin Leonard Nor does deserve, Montreal. Does Robin Leonard deserve to play? Absolutely he deserves to play. Does Mark Andre Fleury deserve to play too? Yeah. They both do, and that's that's your that's your great conundrum. But people always forget yeah. these guys are teammates, and when you win, when you win a Stanley Cup, you're a champion for life, and you've both played, and they both know they're a part of that. Who knows who's going to play? They're rooting for each other because they're teammates. Mm-hmm. Goalies are not enemies; they're friends. And the Vegas Golden Knights have proven we have depth. It's not a throwaway line in a press conference. We have it and we've proved it. Yep. Well, VGK fans, for exclusive Vegas Golden Knights gear, visit one of the Vegas Golden Knights official team store locations. The Armory is located at T-Mobile Arena. The Arsenal is located at City National Arena. Or you can always hop onto VegasTeamStore.com. VegasTeamStore.com. Get your VGK swag today. Now we'll step aside. When we hop back, we'll talk a little bit about more about what is to come for Game 5 tomorrow as the series moves back to T-Mobile Arena. Nighttime at noon, Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to Nighttime at Noon on your home for the Vegas Golden Knights, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Back on Nighttime at Noon, Brian McCormick and Mike McKenna here with you. Dakota Miller is in the corner, keeping an eye on the screen. If you have questions for the show, hashtag Nighttime at Noon. Night, K-N-I-G-H-T. I assume that's implied, but nonetheless, Nighttime at Noon. And Dakota will pass them along to us. In our next segment, we'll get to some of your questions, so do not worry if you have not heard it addressed just yet. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about uh, the depth, Mike, and, and how the uh, the Golden Knights have have been utilizing it, especially in this series where some of the uh, players up the depth chart have, have been a little quiet, especially offensively. Uh, Nick Waugh was another example uh, in overtime as he had his second goal in as many games. But Pete DeBoer yesterday talked about uh, the Vegas Golden Knights' depth and how it's making an impact in this series. Well, it's been the story of our season and, and the story of our playoffs. Um, if you look at the number of guys we've used, both on up front and on defense and now in net, uh, and the number of contributions from those guys, either on the score sheet or in other ways. Um, you know, it's a reason we're standing here. It's a reason we got through the deepest team in the league in Colorado. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's what we're about. You know, at one point last series, we were 25 players for the Golden Knights have suited up 21 half points. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't have the updated statistic on that right now. You know, that's just in the old coconut, as our friend Dave Gosher would say. Uh, but that leads the league. And you talk about depth, and that's real. Well, right now it's the depth that's coming. It's the, coming from the defense. You know, the defense have been putting points up left and right in this series compared to the forwards for the Golden Knights. Um, but Alex Petrangelo was really quick to give credit to the forwards for that, making things happen, getting space, moving players down low getting the puck to the point for those goals, Mm -hmm. um, which is critical. There's going to be a need for more depth, though, at some point here, right? Mm -hmm. Two goals per game. It's not going to get it there all the time. It's a two-to-two series going forward. The Golden Knights will need more. They're going to need more from up front. But to get a goal from Nick Waugh at the end, again, you're going for a third, fourth-line guy, a home province player, Brian. Nick Waugh from Quebec, from a tiny town in Quebec. His entire family, extended family, in Centre Bell, Bell Center. My French is terrible. but You'll get there. They were all there. <laughs> to watch him jouer au hockey dans le patin. I mean, to watch Nick Waugh on the ice score a game-winning goal. What yeah. a cool moment, you know. Depth on display, and that line. He hops in, Pacioretty's on the ice, makes a play across to the net. You know, you're starting to mix and match a little bit now. You're still looking for that magic combination between Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone. Yep. And we're going to see what that mix is. And and you know it, what, what's interesting there too is it, Nick Waugh now again he has goals in, in back-to-back games. Um, in overtime, he's in a a spot where with a full-string lamp he probably isn't. Mm-hmm. It's not just depth in terms of okay our fourth line is is putting in work and creating offense. Our our defense are getting shots through, and for the most part we're not finding the net. It's also guys in elevated positions taking advantage of it and making a difference. And again, Max Pacioretty does a really smart thing coming from low to high and spins it on goal, kind of just throws it into havoc. Let, let's yeah. see where it caroms. And Nick Waugh is there not once but twice. There's been a real awareness around the net, and that's him rising to the occasion. Oh, and Pacioretty also was aware that the Montreal defenders have been out there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you alter your approach, right? If, if they've been out for a long time, yes, you want to hang on to the puck. Yes, you want to keep them out there longer, but you reach a certain threshold where the opposition's been on the ice for 45 seconds, a minute, over a minute. You just want to start getting pucks to the net. Mm-hmm. Because after you've gotten through that initial wear-out phase, they can't keep up. They're tired. They're reaching. And that's exactly what happened on Nick Waugh's goal, was getting it, funneling it there, and eventually Waugh breaks free. And, and what a chip, okay? This was a flop shot, folks. <laughs> he didn't put this thing through the net, but the presence of mind to take that extra second. And Waugh said afterwards that... I saw Price was down, but I saw he was moving. And I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah, yeah. But he basically knew that if I hang on to the puck for just a second longer and give myself some more space and separation, and he actually moves At a moment away, where you probably feel the world closing in on you. Uh, the entire province of Quebec closing in yeah. on you. <laughs> and to just, just ever so lightly, gently flip it up and over Carey Price into the top of the net. And game winner, celebration. Um, just a really heady play, though, from yeah. a player that's got a championship pedigree. Nick Waugh, you got two players that won a Calder Cup in the American Hockey League with the Charlotte Checkers. Together. And Patrick Brown <laughs> and Nick Waugh on this same team. Yeah. Okay? There's championship vibes no matter the level you've played at. And you factor that in with the Stanley Cup champions on the Golden Knights. This is how you pull off a 2-1, ga- 2-1 win in a game that you really weren't in for a lot of it. 
I wonder also because you know there's been fan discussion of all right we're talking about depth we're almost flipping the coin there we're talking about depth from like all right well we're getting a lot from Braden McNabb and Nick Waugh we need to dip into our Max Pacioretty yeah. and Mark Stone but now and again they've had their chances in the series it's not going in and we're talking about four uh, games of, of a little bit of frustration you know as as though it's a massive. Uh, thing to to correct. Of course, they need offense from those sides. But rather than me talk about, it, let's first hear what Pete DeBoer had to say on the uh, the the scoring and, and the missing of Chandler Stevenson, which of course is also significant. We'll hear what Pete DeBoer said, and then we'll we'll respond. Well, sure. I mean, we we've played basically this series without our number one centerman so far. So obviously, uh, want to get him back in the lineup, and I think that's on the horizon. Um, but I, I give credit to. Uh, the guys who have stepped in there and, and done the job, you know, you take somebody like that out of anybody's lineup and it affects your, your team. Uh, you know, I look at them in game one with, without Petrie in their lineup, that, that changes, changes how your team plays. It changes the structure, of your team, your depth, you know, and, and to our guys credit, we've, uh, we found a way and, uh, you know, it hasn't maybe looked as pretty as everyone would like it to look, but uh, we, we found a way. And there's no question that missing Chandler Stevenson, who's had a phenomenal season, you're missing him for who he is, mm -hmm. his speed, how it pushes defenders back on zone entries, his work in the faceoff circle. There's, there's a lot to, to touch on there. But, again, you're trying to find an answer. Last night, Nick Waugh was a pretty good answer. But I even wonder the way that overtime goal happened against Max Pacioretty making a really heady play. Does something like that even maybe get he and Mark Stone going in the sense of, learning as the series evolved where the puck needs to be to make things happen. It might. I think a big thing for them really is just if the power play starts to click, Yeah. I think that's going to go right into five on five. I think that goes hand in hand for me. And that's a whole other can of worms when you're talking about the PP, which just hasn't been there for the Golden Knights at all. Um, but, you know, mixing and matching people. Alex Tuck goes to play center between Stone and Pacioretty. Experimentation a little bit. You know, fast. He can skate. Was yeah. it a great mix? Maybe not. You know, so, you know, you, you try these things. Tomasz Nosek's an option. Mm -hmm. Take a couple shifts, you know. Really, the only one we haven't seen back between Stone and Pacioretty is Carlson, who we had seen last year at certain times. So, Which is a line I don't think they would want to disrupt. It's, it's the most normalcy point, they have right now. That was <laughs> the strongest line last night. Yeah. You know, Carlson and Smith really did a nice job for the better part of the game at creating change. They were the one line that seemed to be able to, to have extended zone time. Um, Jonathan Marsh is so missed the net several times last night are pretty good opportunities if he dials that baby in you start to wonder but uh but yeah i i think that you know you're mixing and matching but man stone and patch ready without stevenson it's a different dynamic but it looked better yeah once they found a little bit and that play with with Wah at the end you know maybe you found it but i think that pp is going to be a big big part a five-on-five five coming for Stone and Pacioretty. We'll dive into the power play a little bit more on the other side of the break. Golden Knights fans, VGK Authentics is the official home for all game-used Vegas Golden Knights merchandise. From game-used pucks to game-worn jerseys and much more, owning a piece of your favorite Golden Knights player has never been so easy. Check out all the great items on VGK Authentics by visiting VegasTeamStore.com. That's VegasTeamStore.com. We'll hop out when we come back. More on the power play, some of your questions, and a little bit more of the Islanders and Lightning who are headed to Game 5 tied at 2 themselves. All straight ahead on nighttime at noon. Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Live from City National Arena, this is Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. 
Halfway through nighttime at noon to kick off the week and continue this Vegas Golden Knights Montreal Canadiens Stanley Cup semifinal series. We're going to talk some Lightning Islanders as well. What a great sports weekend we just had. We had I was Did hopping back and forth. I loved the golf. I was watching a lot of US Open yesterday. Did you watch the racing? I did not see the racing, but I actually follow you on Twitter mostly for hockey and racing. I know if there's a, if there's something going on that I'm missing, you're going to keep me up to speed. I appreciate that. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was a great sporting weekend. The golf was fascinating. Uh, an incredible IndyCar race from Road America, uh, and actually a really enthralling F1 race from, from France. There was actually a pass in the last two laps for the – for the victory for stopping past Hamilton. That just never happens. So, yeah, great weekend. To ho- you know, you got hockey going on here every day now between the two series. So, And we all deserve this. After yeah. a really disjointed calendar year that we've had. WWE last night? That I missed. Hell in a Cell, if you have, you can you can find the replay of that. But, uh, yeah, it was a big one for me. <laughs> a lot of Couch Tiger. <laughs> it, this is what impresses me that that you have uh, that you have everything so down pat when we do this show because I know there's seven different sports bouncing around oh, in your you. mind off the yeah. top rope right well, now. And I had to keep track <laughs> of all the weather taking place in the Midwest with the tornadoes. I mean, that was a, a big thing of mine as a kid. I can tell you all about convection currents and dry lines and uh, amateur meteorologist. But uh, yeah, Dakota, I told you one hour for this show is not it's enough. Not enough. My well, brain. <laughs> I got to focus my brain. We got to get back here. Brian, keep me in line, please. All right, let's get you back on track. And Dakota's we'll pulling my dog. He's pulling my leash right now. Come on, get back on track, Mike. Talk about the power play. All right, we will. <laughs> well, we as we uh, continue our, our thread from last uh, segment uh, and delve into some of our questions, and again, you can submit a question to the show using the hashtag nighttime at noon, K-N-I-G-H-T at noon on Twitter, and Dakota Miller will pass it along to us. Uh, Billy Thompson submitted a question, what can be done to fix the power play in the short term? And that is absolutely something that is uh, has to has to break through for the Vegas Golden Knights, whose power play has struggled. And on the flip side, Montreal's penalty kill has been very good, so something's got to give offensively. It's been both, and there haven't been many power plays either. And we yeah. something we can dive into after this, but uh, you know, when you listen to the players, it's it comes down to execution. It comes down to finding ways. Bottom line for me is that it's been a similar look. And they just haven't been able to move bodies in the puck quick enough. You've got to get in motion. You've got to create lanes. Uh, and for whatever reason, the routes haven't seemed to take in place. I did like, though, yesterday, and I've, I've kind of been lobbying this for a long time, Jonathan Marchessault is a one-timer option. Load up on the one side. Give it an overload. Just let somebody bomb away and try to get rebounds. Not mm-hmm. necessarily the long shot with the screen from the middle ice, which worked so well for the Golden Knights for a long time. You know, you have to have different looks. And, and I like that about Marcia so because I think it's a similar look on his off wing on the left side to what they have with Martinez on the opposite side with his one-timer. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you get two flank options like that and you can move the puck quickly, distribute it, you know, maybe those options – once the other, once the Canadians start to play Marsha so hard, if he has it or Martinez, maybe that option turns into a high tip because they're pressuring hard. Yeah, you know, and that may filter through to the unit that has Stone and Pacioretty on it, to where Pacioretty's starting to get opportunities with shots again, and if not, going back to the playmaking he showed previously, high tips, people funneling towards the net. One of the criticisms we've heard of the power play over the last couple of games, or you know, on the, the TV broadcast and whatnot, that it's it's static. Right. There's a lot of stationary uh, and it's bodies. It's not just the puck. It's bodies. Bodies. And, and, bodies and to that to point, I, I wonder, you know, when I overthink things, I move a lot slower. Is there some extent to which the power play is struggling? You're trying to find answers. In, are you thinking too much, and is that taking away from some of the, the fluidity on the power play? It could. There's a lot of things that go into it, and, and a lot of it can be mental, but it comes down to execution. 
you have to be able to make your passes. And Montreal, they they go hard, and they've got a little bit different look than, you know, the Minnesota series. Minnesota was very passive. They'd hang back. They wouldn't really trigger as hard. Montreal goes, mm-hmm. and they are on you right away. And the way that you're going to beat that, again, getting your bodies in motion, because if there's any space, if there's any gap, they're triggering right away. And it's actually very similar to how the VGK kill. They want to get on the puck as quick as possible. But those types of power plays, you can expose lanes if you get things in motion well enough. And another thread to that, and I asked this, I mean, this is going back a while, but I asked Todd Richards a question when he was the head coach in Columbus. I was there at the time, and, and I, I said well, the power play was struggling, struggling mightily. And, and one of his players mentioned – that well, was this year I played there for Todd Richards in Columbus. It was not you would remember me. I'd be the guy asking bad questions. <laughs> um, but one of the things that they mentioned this was fourteen fifteen. I was there in thirteen fourteen. You just missed me. Oh, what a what shame. A, we can, can you believe this, folks? We, <laughs> we would wow. have had more stories than we have. Man. Um, and and this ties in uh, Mike O'Hara to your question, which is why is the refing so bad? We're going to take that and yeah. spin it a little. But you know what, what Todd Richards said was you know when you're struggling on the power play. And you're also not drawing power plays. It's really hard to fix it. It's hard to fix your power play problems when you're getting one or two chances a night, and there haven't been a lot of power plays in this series. When you do not have repetition to do so, because it becomes one and done, you got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But that's also the importance of it. You score on that power play, and that's a huge moment. Now, speaking to the refereeing here, and I'm going to put my hat on a little bit. My grandpa was 76 years old, refereed until two weeks before he passed away. Okay, this guy basically died in his skates. And he's a guy who once told me, Michael, if I die on the ice, just push me in the net and keep playing. Okay? (laughs) That's the type of humor he had, and that's just how he approached life. He wanted the game to go on. Well, Well, he also knows if he's in the net behind you, you, there's no way you're letting a puck get by you. I suppose that's the case as well. So maybe there was more to it. Still supporting you after the fact. You know, Grandpa Bill was just, he was everything to me. You know, best friend and all that. And... There isn't a less envious position or job in the world than being a referee. Name one season where anybody has ever said, the officials, the referees, were simply outstanding this playoffs. We should commend them. We should give them a raise. We should. Why are they so bad every year? Well, maybe it's not you, it's me. Maybe, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, guess what? People are just never happy with them. Now, there is something to be said, though, that they're letting the play go. Okay, they are. The referees let the play go. Yeah. And players like this, but to a certain extent. You punch a guy in the face, you usually sit in the box. (laughs) You know, so you don't really know the line, but it's your job to adapt. That's always been my thought process is that it's up to the players to adapt to the standard that's been set by the officiating because they generally remain pretty, pretty common throughout the game. Yeah. And... You know, these guys are doing their best to let the players decide it on the ice. Personally, I'd like to see the same standard called all season long in the playoffs because I think, I think it takes out any, any doubt in the minds of fans that there's any type of gamesmanship going on because you, you listen to any broadcast feed and they always think that your team's getting screwed. But it also makes always. the referee's job easier to just do what you've been doing all year long. It's, Correct. It, it is almost taking the game in your own hands to let things go because eventually a, lo- a line's going to be crossed yeah. and that'll be the first whistle you blow. It goes both directions. I just yeah. I think that these, these guys and, and you know in inter- international hockey, women and men that referee, like it's, it's, a, it's just an impossible task. Yeah. And I, I think that they're doing the best they can to let the players go. Um, 
but I do agree. I, I don't think it's cost a game in either direction. I don't. Agreed. I've probably, in my career, I played 14 years. I dressed over 1,000 games. I, I can probably name on I, one hand how many times a referee truly crossed a game, right? I, I wonder. I also wonder if referees have a PR problem. And, <laughs> you know, so, so no referee wants to be the guy who makes the, the Kerry Frazier 93 high-sticking miss or call that we talk about forever. Nobody wants that. Uh, of course, there's there's the, the, the Tim Peel uh, open mic incident this year, too, that was probably brought them under the microscope a little bit more. But but and maybe maybe I, I just focus on things differently. But I think about when I was a kid, everyone knew who Kerry Frazier was. They had the name on the back of the jersey. Yes. And there was Kerry Frazier, Paul Stewart, t- Tim McCreary. Uh, uh, Terry, Van, Terry Andy, Gregson, like Terry, Don Koharski. Uh, Don Koharski. There were a lot of Andy guys you knew. I think if you ask a lot of people, not that there's none, but referees that you can name, everyone says Wes McCauley. Mm-hmm. You had Mick Magoo. There back was Tim the Tim Peel. Yeah. But my point being is, I feel like there was a a revered old guard of NHL officiating when we were younger that had a little bit more authority. That I don't know. I don't know who the gold standard of officiating is right now, and that's not a criticism of them. I just feel like it's not framed that way. There was a, there were a, when Tony let's Stewart some, when Paul Stewart went on the ice, like tonight's going to be done right, and and you just didn't think about it. Let me bloviate if I may. By the way, my dad would listen. Is like, what are you nuts? <laughs> I if I had my way, and I don't. I'd love for the referees to have names on their jerseys again to do press, press conferences, conferences afterwards to be able to speak for themselves. I understand the reasons why not. I get it. I'm not in charge of the league. I'm all that stuff. I honestly think, though, that if we gave let their personality shine, that there'd be people that would gravitate towards being fans of referees that they'd cheer for. People do like Wes McCauley because he's a character. People, and I'm, man, people are tribal. People want something to root for. They do. You know, you're rooting for a team. You're not. You're rooting for a player. You know. It's amazing that once somebody's invested, and like that the F1 series that's on Netflix right now, driven like nobody liked racing. All of a sudden, oh, well, I've got friends that like racing because there's a Netflix series. I'm a Red Bull guy. I'm a I'm a Mercedes <laughs> guy. Are you kidding me? I've been trying to get you to watch for ten years, right? I think you would have people gravitate to, you know, a, a Francis Charon or Jean Hubert. <laughs> or like, I would love that. It's never going to happen, but it'd be great to see. Those press conferences would be the the most interesting, right? They, they oh. would, every reporter would be in that room to find out why that trip was or was Especially not. Especially if they got petulant or, or started firing back, which of course would even uh, would fly in the face of hockey culture. Man, it'd be fun. <laughs> Quick, quickly, Islander Lightning series. They're headed to Game Five tonight, uh, five o'clock puck drop here in the wet on the West Coast. Uh, series tied at two. I mean, it feels like it's it's following a, a somewhat similar arc to what we're going mm-hmm. through on the on the West. Well, sorry, on our semifinal side. Mm-hmm. Those two teams are beating each other up pretty good. I mean, I, I think we've seen spirited hockey between the Golden Knights and the Canadians for sure. Uh, it's to another level on the east side right now. Yeah. And when you look at the Islanders and Tampa, and they're looking to square off right away. <laughs> I mean, you've got – the fights aren't coming here in this series. You know what I mean to the same extent. But those teams have gone back and forth. They've been scoring goals. Both teams have gotten goaltending. I think that just seems to me, Brian, like it's destined for seven games. And the Islanders have gotten goaltending from Ryan Pullock as well. Uh, How about that? Skate save, pops up, hits him in the can. I mean, like. And I think that's <laughs> it, it's amazing, and we'll we'll talk about it for a long time, and that's as we should. It's also partially, I think, an indication of, of a Barry Trotz team because everyone's like, what was he doing there? And I look at that as, as like, 
No, he's exactly where he was supposed to be. Like, that's that's the beauty of that play is that he's exactly where he's supposed to be. Shot blocking for the Golden Knights. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you have teams that are driven in playoffs. Yeah. You really do. And that's very indicative of a Barry, Barry Trotz team, uh, of a Lou Lamorello organization, right, who's up for GM of the year. Mm-hmm. Buy-in, team buy-in, culture. Really, you see that with all the four teams left. Yeah. Structured teams the, are still playing. That's the reason why these four teams are around. And those other 27 are no longer. Soon to be 28. Fans Rock Creek Cattle Company is a hidden gem located in the heart of Montana. This 28,000-acre cattle ranch has something for everyone. A world-class golf course, fly fishing, hunting, horseback riding, and more. Escape the bright lights and discover Big Sky Montana. Exclusive memberships and real estate opportunities are available now. Visit rockcreekcattlecompany.com for more information. That's rockcreekcattlecompany.com. We'll... Hop out. When we come back, we'll wrap things up on this Monday afternoon edition of Nighttime at Noon. Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to Nighttime at Noon on your home for the Vegas Golden Knights, Fox Sports Las Vegas. VGK fans Bill and Carol Foley created the Foley Food and Wine Society to celebrate three of their greatest passions, world-class wines, exceptional cuisine, and outstanding travel destinations. As a member of the society, you will have access to an entire portfolio of properties around the globe. The Foley Food and Wine Society offers an exclusive opportunity to join like-minded individuals who seek to experience the finer things in life. Join for free today by visiting FoleyFoodAndWineSociety.com. That's FoleyFoodAndWineSociety.com. Wrapping things up on this Monday afternoon edition of Nighttime at Noon, Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you, Dakota Miller, Across the table and on the other side of the glass is George Lopez. Before we move on, I think it's very important to recognize uh, that Garrett DJ Calloway, who usually sits in the chair that Dakota is, I shouldn't say usually, he's the other guy who sits in the chair Dakota is sitting in, uh, not here today, hopefully off having fun because it is his birthday. Uh, and I think we should recognize it properly. Everyone, please sing to your radios. Mm-hmm. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. you. Okay, Happy well, birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday. To Happy you. birthday. To you, Garrett. Garrett, happy okay. birthday to you. Blow out the candles. There and we go. now Garrett Calloway is older, officially. Yes. Now, as we wrap up this edition, let's talk, <laughs> uh, well, hockey for the last few minutes, I suppose. Uh, some awards given out over the last week. Jacob Slavin won the Lady Bing from the Carolina Hurricanes. And Alexander Barkov, the Selkie winner for best defensive forward. Mark Stone was in the running for that award, did not win it. <sighs> yeah, and I don't agree with that. Um, and we might as well just call this thing the best defensive centerman award. <laughs> Hasn't been a winger that's won it since Yuri Lettinen with the Dallas Stars, and it feels like seems almost two decades ago at this point. Uh, what was it? <laughs> it may have been. It may have been, actually. I mean, we're talking like the 2000s. The 2001? And I, I just don't get it. I mean, you lead the league in steals, like if you're Mark Stone. Takeaways. Lead the league. You play penalty kill alongside Chandler Stevenson. You don't give up a shorthanded goal all year. You're plus on the penalty kill. I don't know how you can be better defensively. Yeah. No, look well, at his plus minus. Well, well here's the question. Okay, look then. at the, the analytics. What metrics are voters using? Because this feels to me not entirely different from the Lady Bing in this sense. Faceoffs. This is a well. I wonder is this an eyeball test vote? Because Patrice Bergeron's in every year, and I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but it seems that once you get a reputation for being a good defensive forward or among the best from word of mouth and eyeball tests, and again, for certain people, the numbers, of course, back it up. Mm-hmm. Once you get that reputation, though, you are in this ballot yep. top five for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, Mitch Marner got votes. Okay, come on. You tell me those couldn't have gone to Mark Stone? 
anyway, I mean, I, I, if it comes down to face-offs, that's, that's why. I, I don't know, man. I, I just have a hard time with that. And, and I'm here's the thing. I'm actually really happy that, that Barkov won because I think he, if you're going for best defensive center, he was it this year. Mm-hmm. He was awesome in both directions. I, did, I just think that what Mark Stone does, the best stick in the league, and we're jaded here in Vegas seeing him play all the time, but I just wonder, are people really watching him? Watch him close. Like, for a guy that isn't the fleetest of foot that makes this big of a dish difference in games, I'm I'm shocked by it. But, I mean, if he didn't put it this way, if he didn't win one this year, will he ever? Right. How could he possibly excel what he did defensively this year combined with his offense, you know? Well, have you noticed – I wonder, is this going to be one of those conversations of, hey, how did Mark Stone not do better in the voting for this? Does this start the conversation of taking a deeper look at this going forward? I'm not getting that sense. I think everyone's looking at Alexander Barkov, who, again, this is not at all to say that he's not worthy of what he won, but it seems that everyone has coalesced as we do every year. We celebrate the Selkie. We don't often question it. Well, when's the last time a you know stay-at-home defenseman won the Norris for the best defenseman in the league? That's a bone for me to pick. Right. That's <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, there, there are these things that it just seems like you just can't do. Yeah. You can't. I mean, if you're a winger, you just can't win. And like I say, I don't know how Mark Stone can eclipse, eclipse what he did this year as a defensive forward, combining it into his – his job on the offensive side of things. So I'm disappointed he didn't win, but I do think it's good that he at least got the recognition of finishing where he did in the voting for people to realize. And, hey, maybe it does snowball. Maybe he does get one in the future. Well, if he needs an axe to grind, he has one now because this series moves back to T-Mobile Arena for Game 5 tomorrow night. Uh, And, Mike, of course, it's a best of three now with two games at T-Mobile Arena if Game 7 is necessary. Uh, What are the keys for Game 5? And does winning Game 4 the way that they did kind of springboard them into game five where they were really at risk of falling into a very deep hole in game four and now there's new life not sure they're going to bring much momentum off of that but i think they're bringing a breath of fresh air two two series you look at it from the macro perspective that three games two of which are going to be on our home ice if necessary and that's it's powerful for this team they love to play at home and you know the initial the initial shock factor of montreal playing in a full building and kind of the energy that came with that is gone. Mm-hmm. I thought it actually gave Montreal a lot of energy early in the series, playing in the building with people in it. You know, you, you skate out, there's showgirls behind the glass, there's people everywhere. You've hardly seen a soul in a, in a right. arena for seven, you know, like for 14 months or something. Rather than shock value, that was probably the most normal they've felt in a year. It really was, you know. Yeah. I mean, they're on the they're staying on the strip looking out going, oh, boy, I wish we could do that. But <laughs> I think for the Golden Knights, they have to start better. Another poor first period. And they just haven't found that energy right off the bat. And, you know, a lot of that to me goes to the Dano line for the Canadians. Gallagher, Dano, and, and Lekkanen have been so good against the top line for the Golden Knights. Yeah. They've stymied them. Um, but I, I think they just have to get pucks going forward. They have to get pucks into the offensive zone and get that sustained zone time because, again, Montreal really relies heavy on four defensemen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the earlier you can wear them down, if you can get extended zone time and shifts, it's going to pay dividends towards the end of the game. It's amazing. A Montreal team, Joel Edmondson, who was uh, dependable but expendable at the end of the day in St. Louis, is now playing 25 minutes a night in Montreal. It's it's been uh, a steady... uh, Paddock back there for the Montreal Canadiens. We'll see what answers the VGK will have in Game 5. Mike, fun afternoon. Appreciate it. Good times. Just a good one as always, Brian. Good work today. You as well. Looking forward to more racing this week. Keep an eye out. Dakota. Good work, Dakota.
Appreciate it. There you have it. <laughs> well, make sure you tune in tomorrow at noon. Stormy Bonantoni and Shane Knighty will have the reins for nighttime at noon. Uh, and, of course, Game 5 tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. Puck drop at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Make sure you tune in, and we look forward to talking more hockey throughout the week. He's Mike McKenna. I'm Brian McCormick. This is Nighttime at Noon. Stay tuned for the Doug Gottlieb Show.